This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with my trusty cohort, Susan, Dr. Susan Kleiner. Susan, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello to everyone. I hope y'all are well out there. So I apologize. We haven't been able to get together for podcasts for a number of reasons. Um, we, you know, I've been traveling as, as many of the Eat Performers would know, and uh, I won't get into that too much um, just because we have so many topics to cover, but but I spent the month in, in Charleston um, with this idea that, uh, you know, we would get a little bit out of the Minnesota weather. And then of course I come back to Minnesota and it's minus 10. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm like, can't we, couldn't we have just looked at the weather and see extended the trip a week? But um, yeah, so today we're gonna, we're gonna cover endurance and we're gonna cover um, some of why um, you might want to weigh less during endurance, some reasons why maybe it, it's it's the wrong focus, right? Susan, why don't you go into how people can reach you, find your information, tell them about your book, and because we haven't done that in a while. Yeah, so well, so um, uh, certainly my website is super easy. It's drskleiner.com, D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com. I'm at Power Eat on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Dr. Susan Kleiner on Facebook. Uh, look for my books, uh, The New Power Eating on my website, on any online bookseller. Uh, the Good Mood Diet is available easily as an ebook. And, uh, and there's just a whole host of other things that you can find me doing at any time, anywhere. <laughs> so Specifically related to new power eating in this topic, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to want to pick up new power eating, right? Because it's going to give you more of a framework for why you want to go after goals and why you need to fuel those goals and, and things of this nature, right? Um, also, I'm Paul Nobles. I'm the founder of Eat to Perform. Um, you can go to www.eatperform.com and talk to a coach if you're looking for coaching. Um, and uh, yeah, it's pretty simple, right? Um, so I want to dig right into this topic, but I want to start at the beginning, right? Because one of the things that you sort of see is that the way that Susan and I think about endurance is probably very different from the person that just got the Couch to 5K app yesterday, right? And why you would want to have heart health, why you would want to focus on getting better at endurance and why it's a pretty important piece of being a human being, right? Um, but we would be remiss to not mention that some people view endurance as a way of managing their weight. And I would argue that it's not a very good way of managing your weight. Um, what I can tell you, and I will go in depth with, um, is it's very good if you're trying to stay weight stable. Like it's great at that, right? And I'll give you examples along the way as we're talking. But the problem that you run into is 
that it, and 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 don't get me wrong if you if you have not done much endurance work and you add some endurance work even short running you know mile to 3 miles you'll see significant progress pretty early on right but if you're looking at that progress as this is how I'm going to lose 50 pounds, I would like you to go to a marathon. Because if you watch a marathon, you're going to see the most significant amount of body types you've ever seen. Like if you go to a CrossFit event, or if you go to a bodybuilding event, or if you go to even like a powerlifting event, you'll go, well, that's a CrossFit body type, that's a powerlifting body type, and that's a bodybuilding body type. There is no marathon body type, right? Um, ultra marathons probably do tend to lean to, you know, if, if, if you're overweight, as an example, your body just cannot handle that beating. So you're certainly going to see more uh, leaner, smaller type folks. Um, but what you don't know about those leaner, smaller type folks is they can down a couple plate of nachos, a six pack of beer, like it's nothing, right? Because their body is able to process fuels differently than people that just exercise as a way of staying healthy. So I wanna say the thing that I always say whenever I'm talking about exercise, because it's important. The reason you exercise is to get better at that exercise, right? So you're not trying to manage your weight. You're not trying, there's many, we can, we can have those discussions. There's six years of podcasts. You can go listen to all six years of them and it'll talk a lot about how to manage your weight, right? You don't need to run a marathon every Sunday to manage your weight, right? Um, so so that's, that's the basis for this podcast, right? So, so if, you know, you're struggling with the look in the mirror or you're struggling with, you know, a lot of different things, I know it's a lot and I know it's very easy to put on a pair of tennis shoes and then just go out the door and feel like you're affecting your health positively. And oh, by the way, you are, right? But not the way you think you are, right? It's not necessarily going to be the thing that, well, if I burn 500 to 1,000 calories, that that's gonna show up on the scale tomorrow, right? And this is why people get really frustrated with, wearables and Fitbits and things of this nature because they 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 go you know I mean one of the best things I don't know how familiar you are with David Sedaris or any of his books but um he he talks about his Fitbit and it's the funniest story because you know he kind of jokingly says I wake out of I wake up out of bed and I have 10,000 steps and he's like <laughs> jokingly saying you know um, 10,000 steps is, is for wusses, right? Um, and, and, you know, he talks about how it just became obsessive for him and that it's routine for him to get 50,000 steps in a day, right? And, 
And a little bit of what we're talking about is that idea, right? That, you know, if we're talking about weighing a certain amount to be better at endurance, for one, that's a little overrated, right? But if you're, if you're doing endurance so that you weigh less, I will tell you that the formula to do that is not near as good as you think, right? And what I see with people that get exposed to our message, you know, both Susan and I have a heavy emphasis on performance. Susan's probably even more because, you know, she's dealing with professional athletes. She's writing programs for people um, that are, are quite involved. I'm trying to address an issue for the average everyday athlete, right? And, and those are two different populations. There's some similarities to those populations, right? There's degrees to those populations, but I just want to make it very clear. And then obviously I'll let Susan talk at some point that we're not talking about managing weight, right? We'll talk about some of the things that you might expect to see that might surprise you, right? And there may be some, some things that Susan and I will have kind of a nuanced conversation about because, you know, at the end of the day, if Susan's writing a program for an ultra marathoner that is 120 pounds and I'm working with a client that's say 195 pounds, right? That's coming to me under eating. The rules are vastly different. So different, they're not even similar, right? So Susan, why don't you talk about that? And then we can get into a few examples because I, ha I have such good examples. <laughs> well, thanks, Paul. It's fun to be back and, and looking across from you from um, sort of balmy Seattle where we're in the low 40s. <laughs> uh -huh. um, <laughs> so uh, the conceptually, I like to, even in my elite athletic clients, I want real clarity around goals. And so we talk about what is the goal of a nutrition plan? Why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? Because until there's real clarity on that goal, first of all, I don't know what outcomes I'm trying to get to or what I should be measuring, but it also gives clarity to my clients so that they understand what we can actually do with diet and training and what things diet and training won't impact. And so, especially in your world, we, it's very important to understand if someone's looking to lose weight, what, why? Is it, is it a health reason? Have they had a heart attack? Um, are they having difficulty walking around with, you know, arthritis in their knees and they want to lose weight? Um, do they think they're going to improve their love life when they lose weight? Do they think their spouse will, will care about them more? Do they think they'll 
get a, an advancement in their job or do better in, in a professional setting? What, what are they trying to accomplish? And those are critical because sometimes we can actually help with getting to a goal and sometimes we can't. And so that's where this choosing of, I'm just gonna go run and I'm gonna run and I'm gonna run and I'm gonna run and that will get me to my goal, whatever that is, if it's, if the, if it's even a superficial goal of weight loss, um, somewhere that, it, like you said, at the outset, you will get an effect because your body will become more fit and you will be burning more calories if you change nothing else. But at a certain point, you will get more efficient at just running and your body will adapt. And, and there are you know, many other things to do to lead to successful weight loss. So, so the goals where we overlap in whether it's Paul or it's you know, Eat to Perform clients or my clients is in fitness because it's fitness that ultimately helps you get to a really substantial fat loss goal improving your health, making you stronger and better at the exercise that you're doing. And so hopefully whatever exercise you do is something that you like and that you enjoy and, and, um, and you're enhancing the quality of your life as you go along, because that to me is always the ultimate goal. So one of the biggest concepts, whether it be fitness or whether it be weight loss is the concept of homeostasis, right? So can you quickly describe how homeostasis works? And um, yeah, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it afterwards, but it, it's a, it plays a big role, much bigger role than most people think. Most people focus on a lot of different things, hormones and, and all these different things that come into play, but really it's your body's, seeking balance that probably plays the biggest role. So can you go into that a little bit? So it, you know, and, and the best way is by example. So the body is dynamic. It's not static. It's not a machine, a machine, let's say a sports car. People always talk about your body as a sports car. Well, so um, you can have pedal to the metal on a sports car all the way to the last drop of gas. It will go fast, 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 and then just stop as it runs out of gas. Your body won't do that. <laughs> Your body is going to adjust to the available fuel or calories coming in. As the gas tank goes down, as the available fuel starts to decrease, your body wants to reach a certain level of balance and maintain that. And so it will slow down to meet the available fuel over time. It won't happen immediately, but it actually happens in a relatively rapid fashion. And so that's why this concept of that people think is science, um, is it's fact, it's science, if I decrease my calories by 500 calories a day, and in seven days, I take in 3,500 calories less, 3,500 calories, if we put 
a pound of fat in a, in a calorimeter and we burn it off and we, it, it's the equivalent of 3,500 calories, I should lose 3,500 calories or a pound of fat every week if every week I have a 3,500 calorie deficit. But that never happens. It never happens. In practice, it doesn't happen. And people get very frustrated and they get very angry and they say, I'm doing everything right. I'm sticking to the plan and I'm not losing weight the way science tells me it should. Well, the fact is science would never tell you that. That is not biology. That's the diet world's made up version of the way uh, math is supposed to work. Um, but it but the body doesn't work in that way. Physics doesn't, doesn't work that way in our bodies and, and the body will adjust to reach balance or you know, to find center always to protect you from the danger of running out of fuel. And that is the survival mechanism. And so as you run, when you begin, you do get a caloric deficit if you haven't started to eat more and you will start to lose some weight. You will start to lean out. You will start to get more fit. You'll start to look better. But if you do nothing else except run and run and run and run and you are thinking you're creating a greater deficit and so you should be able to continue to lose fat at the same pace, you won't. You, your body gets efficient your muscles get trained, you work less to accomplish the same effect and you will, your, your fat loss will slow over time. And so changing it up, doing different things, and there are different strategies and that's what Paul is gonna talk about that, and, and, and ultimately, why are you running? That's the question, why are you running? So I'll I'll tell you what they're all going to tell you right out the gate. I want to weigh less so it hurts my body less, right? That is a common refrain that you get from runners. And if you only ask that one question, that will be the answer that you get. But the real answer, I think, lies deeper, right? Why did you start running, right? When your body didn't hurt and now your body is hurting, why are you still running? Right, right. right. And so, so if you're a coach listening to this, you can't just ask, why do you want to run? Because the person will say, I want to, or I want to lose weight, so my running's easier, right? That's not going to always be fact. So I'm going to go into a case study, but I also want to say thank you for saying what you just said, because first of all, every diet plan says they're science-based. Every single one, right? Not one person goes, yeah, we're so against science, right? Now, this is a creative writing course. This is what we came up with. <laughs> but, but here's the easiest filter for whether you're science-based or not. Does food come back? That's it, right? If food doesn't come back after you're in a calorie deficit, then you're not science-based inherently, right? Because your body wants to be fed you know, and there's a lot of ways to calculate your total daily energy expenditure, but they've spent a lot of science, a lot of time coming up with these numbers. And these numbers are often drastically higher 
than what you think it is because, and we'll, we'll go into it here in a, in a second. Um, and, and Susan and I have had some discussions about this. You can go back and listen to the podcast if you want to, but, but I always take an issue with maintenance, right? Susan's argument is that scientifically maintenance has to exist to have a measurement, right? But my argument with maintenance is not a scientific one. My argument with maintenance is when you change one thing, you've changed yet another thing. Right. So if you're running 24 miles and then you run 25 miles, your maintenance inherently changes. And so you'll see science based places. Right. That talk about maintenance as if it's a number and then you get to a calorie deficit. And let's say that your calories at the lowest end are fourteen hundred and they you know, want to get you to maintenance. Right. Maintenance is not seventeen hundred right? Especially not if you're a highly active individual. Now, you might think that your maintenance is that way because you can control your weight a little bit better in that way, but you're also hurting yourself as an example. So, I'll give you an example of when we were in Charleston, right? When we were in Charleston, my average calories are anywhere from 3,000 to 3,500. Did not log food, did not do anything. Came back to Minnesota, down five pounds, ate out every single night, had lots of calories, right? Did up my endurance a little bit that allowed me to, um, that allowed me to have a higher caloric load, deal with sodium a little bit better, right? But when we argue for a more flexible way of eating, where your calories are higher. A lot of people go, this is a lot of food. I don't wanna just eat food just to eat food. Trust me when I say this to you, that is not why I wanna get your calories higher. I want you to live a more abundant life so that you can do the things that bring you joy without having to be overly restrictive, right? Right. Now, why not? Why not eat the most that you can eat rather than the least that you can eat? Well, because it scares people. Yeah, that's it. Like, like what they don't want to do is step on the scale, right? And then, and then it 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 skews their relationship with the scale because instead of they they most people have the wrong expectation of their relationship with the scale, right? Like I, I say this, I've said this on the podcast all the time is that people say that the scale is like this dirty, filthy liar, right? The scale is not a liar. The scale is tells you the truth every single time, right? It's your not understanding of what the truth is telling you that's the problem. It's that expectation that you want to be lower all the time. This will interest people. When my weight would go down in Charleston, that was the day we really made sure that our calories were higher on, on, on that day, right? Because one, you're, you're there to enjoy yourself. Certainly enjoying yourself is gonna involve food. Charleston is a great food city. So those were the days where we chose to have our higher caloric load. Well, it got to a point 
once the running started to add up where our caloric load, if we, if we didn't really keep up with it, we were going to lose weight more. And then they go, Oh my goodness, this is so amazing. He's saying that the more he ran, the more weight he lost. No, what I'm saying to you is the more I ate, the more I could run that allowed more eating. Right? So what Susan described with homeostasis and science and all this other type of stuff, you're ignoring the part about the eating part. Without the eating part, there is no better at running part, right? You're going to get worse. And not only are you going to get worse, you're going to be more susceptible to injury. You know, what we get and what you see with eating disorders, um, people that use running to you know, an overly abusive way is they become more susceptible to stress fractures, things of this nature. It's a very serious issue, right? And when we look at it, they, they, a lot of times those people go, well, it's the running that's the problem. Well, no, it's not the running that's the problem. It's, it, it might be the problem and you might have to address some things, but I, I see a lot of people eating 1200 calories working on pose methods. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's great. Maybe pose methods a little bit of what you need, but I have an athlete that runs less than you do, right? Um, not the same distances, anything, eating three times the amount of food that you eat, right? Because you have the stranglehold of what you think it's gonna be and you're using your endurance to manage your weight. You're not using your endurance to get better at endurance, right? And so, so I wanna start with a case study that was really good. Um, but I need you to understand as I'm telling you this case study, this is a person that was all in on getting better at running, right? And that she tried all the other things and when she would listen to the messages of Eat to Perform, it, it rang a bell for her. She's like, this makes sense. You know, I've been trying the wrong thing the whole time, right? So she came to me, she was 195 pounds, she's 5'10". So 195 pounds, 5'10 female, that's, you know, she's still relatively lean, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she was ultra marathoner, triathlete, marathoner, all these different things. For nine months of the year, she is beast mode, right? Only three months of the year do things slow down, right? And when I say slow down, I mean, she only runs a marathon, you know, every <laughs> other day, rather than all the other amazing things that she does, right? So she came to us under eating, right? And she was starting to deal with, you know, not stress fractures necessarily, but, you know, more tendon issues, you know, always, always feeling a little overworked. Um, and she naturally assumed that it was a, a weight issue, right? Because one, she's 195 pounds doing all these amazing things. Well, she was eating 1200 calories, right? And so... Uh, that was the first thing that we addressed was, you know, now 
Susan's shaking her head. I mean, are there moments where after a race, she consumes 5,000 calories? Absolutely, right? But if you're listening to this and you're a runner and you're eating 1,200 calories, but, but after a race you eat 5,000 calories, what I can tell you is that you'd be a lot better runner if you ate 5,000 calories the majority of the time, right? And maybe, maybe there's some middle place, right? Where 3,500 calories might make more sense. But what, what I'm about to describe is the evolution of becoming a better runner, right? And in that process, she did lose weight. So the first year we started working together, I get her calories up to 3,000, 3,500. She's like shocked that she's not gaining weight, right? Um, running's better, tendons are better, mm-hmm. everything's improving. She works with a running trainer. Like we, this is a person that's taking this very, very seriously. Um, now I can tell you for fact, you would love it. Susan and I would love it if it was all about just you know, being better at running, right? But part of why she started running was to look better in the mirror, mm-hmm. right? Eventually she realized that, that that running provided her something, but she never lost the want to look better in the mirror, right? I mean, to say that I don't care would be wrong, right? Because I definitely want to listen Right. I think I think as a coach. um, But there's a distance that I think Susan would probably agree with that you have to take as a coach so that you focus on the most proper path rather than constantly being distracted by this thing that is the wrong path. Right. So if the if if I was constantly distracted by the way that she wanted to look in the mirror, you never get to where she ultimately wants to go. And that's why most people need a coach, right? And I'm not even coaching her on running, right? But I'll tell you one thing, that running coach thinks he's a genius, right? (laughs) Because I stepped in with the food and made the food right. And one thing that if you're a personal trainer listening to this, I mean, did you get into personal training so that you could talk someone into eating less nonstop? Or did you get into personal training because fitness changed your life and you want to change more people's life? But now, you know, maybe maybe part of what your story was that was that you were a little over restrictive or a little bit more focused on abs and things of this nature. So maybe you ate a little bit less and you're kind of catching religion a little bit, right? In In the ether right now, what Susan is talking about is out there, right? What I'm talking about daily is out there, right? We can't, you know, we're approaching 2 million fans here soon. People know that fueling your body appropriately for fitness makes sense. They don't necessarily get the degrees of it. They don't understand that an ultra marathoner, you know, if they're eating anything less than 4,000 calories, their potential to be hurt, right? Um, which is irrespective of the fact that they're 125 pounds, right? Irrespective of what they weigh or, you know, um, things of this nature. So a lot of people look at 
125 pound ultra marathoner think to myself, well, if I became an ultra marathoner, I'd be 125 pounds. Not necessarily how it works, right? Um, so when we first started, like I said, she was under eating. We got her to the place where she was weight stable, eating 3,000, 3,500 calories. And actually she lost a little bit of weight. I remember her getting into the to the high 180s, but we really didn't have the math because you know the problem that you run into with these wearables and Fitbits and Garmin's and all these things that all of you are addicted to, they're only going to adjust to the stimulus that your body gives it, right? And so you can run from here to the Ukraine, right? But if you're not fueling your body appropriately, the your body's going to adapt and and it's probably going to adapt by hurting you right um just to adjust so that you stop so that you can't cause further damage right but a lot of you listening to this you're in that middle place where you don't allow yourself to be completely hurt you ice your plantar fasciitis you stretch out your calf all these different things that you view as a running problem that the majority of the time ends up being a food problem, right? So I'm gonna go more into it, but I know you have a lot to say on this topic. So I wanted, I just wanna get, get you into it, but I want people to go through the progression of as I added food, she did not necessarily lose weight, right? She lost a little bit of weight, Right, she was eating. We have people say this to me all the time, and it it blows me away. Right, if you are a miracle worker, and you took someone from twelve hundred calories, started having them eat thirty five hundred calories, and they lost six pounds, I believe that that person should get the Nobel Prize. <laughs> right, but instead. That person gets frustrated because that, that person wants to be 140 pounds, right? Rather than the six pounds that they lost. Well, that's not the problem we're working on right now, right? And eventually what you'll see is that we did address the mirror issue, but the biggest issue that you have with the scale, the biggest issue that you have with getting better at running, the biggest issue that you have with self-esteem is your timeline. For almost all of you, your timeline is what's screwing you every single time. You have to allow some level of patience. You have to allow progress. And then you have to chill out a bit so that your body adjusts, food comes back, and then we can talk about more progress. So Susan, why don't you walk through that a so, so what happens when you're vastly underfueling for sure, but even, you know, moderately underfueling and you are, you have high expectations of output in your body. Um, years ago, especially with female runners, um, elite female runners, there was a complete misunderstanding of how the body used energy. And we assumed, because we couldn't really measure things that well at that time, that the body would certainly fuel our foundational health needs first. They would take primary fuel. 
and anything left over would go to exercise, which was by choice, right? So pumping your heart, keeping your immune system going, brain function, uh, you know, replacement and recovery of cells, all kinds of things that were required for foundational health, reproductive health. We assumed all of this got the first level of fuel and then whatever was left over is what fueled exercise. And so there was always this conundrum for these elite female athletes who ate a fraction of what their male counterparts ate, even if they were smaller and less muscle mass, it just never penciled out. How could they possibly be doing the level of exercise that they were doing with so um, unbelievably efficiently? And that was this assumption that they were just soup became more and more and more efficient at their exercise. Lo and behold, technology moves forward. We have better methods to measure things. And we take a 180 on our understanding of what the body does with energy. And in fact, as in probably everybody, but we certainly have really good data on women and girls, that we will fuel the highest intensity energy demand first. In other words, if you were living in a cave and a bear came in and you were barely eating, you would fuel the energy to get the heck out of there over whether or not you had reproductive function. And so that is how the body works and that we fuel the highest energy demand as the primary um, sort of fuel hose and whatever is left over goes to reproductive function, immune function, um, skeletal turnover, muscle turnover, brain function, nervous system repair, all of those things, which is why many people who are can do high levels of exercise without much fuel on board. And so they're burning their 1200 calories in their exercise daily, but their periods stop, their bones start to, to diminish. Um, you're not sleeping well, your hormones are, are messed up, you, you can't rest and relax, your hair is falling out, you're, you're increasing your, your energy output, you're increasing your exercise, uh, your hair, skin and nails start to look awful. And, and, and then you start to get softer, and then you get brain fog, and then clearly your exercise performance is diminishing and everything goes to hell in a handbasket over time. It doesn't happen overnight. Typically the first year that you reduce your energy intake and elite female athletes know this, when they get a little bit of a weight drop, yes, their, their um, performance improves. They are lighter. There is a, a, uh, um, you know, a weight to power ratio that improves the first year. And then they come back the second year and it doesn't work as well because now their body is suffering from that underfueling, And so they eat less, but it doesn't work again and again and again. And now they break down and now they um, pretty much end their careers. And that is very common among female endurance athletes is they have short careers because their bodies break down. So their body weight doesn't get them where they wanna go in the long run. 
What Paul is saying is if you take time, if you do exercise that you enjoy and you do it consistently and you fully fuel yourself in the beginning, because you've been under fueling, you are now building up all your systems and all your tissues and all the underlying factors that help you increase your running, enhance your, your running. And then if you have a caloric deficit, you will lose a little bit of weight, but you want to be built up as strong as you possibly can be to start with, to then sustain this over time to down the road, maybe years later, get to a weight goal that now may have completely changed or gone away because you really have, in, be, have found something that improves your self-esteem that you enjoy. And now you're trained and you don't hurt to run. Now you have built up all the tissues that support yourself to do the sport that you enjoy. So it's a process and anyone selling you an overnight success is lying. Yeah, I think I think um, as we go into this, there's there's a few things that that needs to 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 be said, right? Um, the lying part, I think, needs to be said, right? Because I think as human beings, we want we want the maximum result in the m minimum amount of time. But the problem that you you know, when you want extreme goals, you have to be patient. The more that you tap that homeostasis button, what you're going to realize is that you're going to get less and less result as you go. So what you want to do is you really want to push, like Susan's saying, those tissues, muscle tissues, tendons, all these things favorably with food. Right. So the other thing that I wanted to say is that when I talk about a case study, a lot of times people go, okay, well, you have one example of thousands of examples. No, I have thousands of examples that I used one example to describe those thousands of examples. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of you that listen to this podcast that at one point or other, think that you're unique, right? That you're um, dissimilar from all the other people because, you know, Jill at the gym, you know, when she does one little thing, you know, it fixes everything, right? What I can tell you is that maybe Jill at the gym is doing things more correctly most of the time. So that one thing really accelerated whatever progress that she was looking to make. The good majority of the people listening to this podcast that have struggled with weight loss, fat loss over time, they've just been banging the wrong hammer on the wrong nail, right? And so when you start to bang the right hammer on the right nail, yes, you might have to pay a little bit of a price. And the, the person that I'm describing, she paid a little bit of a price, right? She had to fix what was broken, right? And I would say even three years in, um, I remember having a discussion, we were three years in and we would work her up to 4,000 calories. And, and, and oh, by the way, in this process, 
she's now going from marathons occasionally to like flying to various places, you know, to do triathlons and stuff like this. So she, her athletic prowess was growing big time, right? When I think of the most gangster athletes, and, and oh, by the way, I want everybody who's listening to this, if you're not an endurance athlete or something of this nature, I want you to hear what I'm about to say, but I also want you to think about, we're talking about you also right? Because the things that affect balance is being addressed right here, right? So if you're a power lifter, you can't just power lift your way to a thousand pound deadlift. You have to take breaks to allow your body to recover. And most of you know that that is called a deload, right? Your body needs to be able to adapt to new stimulus, but also recover so that it allows it to go to the next level, which is called supercompensation, right? This is the basic concept that we're talking about related to um, physiology that applies to both fitness and fat loss, right? So all of you that think that you're unique, you, you may have downgraded some things along the way right? Maybe you're on some medications that make things a little bit more difficult or something of this nature. But the more correct path is not just starving yourself harder. That's the point we're really trying to make as you're going, okay, now I realize how important fitness is, right? For me as a human being, we're now making the case for viewing fitness as a human being as the driving force rather than the thing that you use to get a result that frankly you don't need, but does make things better on a lot of levels, right? Um, you know, it's pretty easy to lose weight when you do virtually nothing, but it's very difficult to keep it off without right. doing anything, right? So I remember we were about three years in and, um, I had someone else ask me this week, you know, that, that they're an endurance athlete and their calories are a lot higher. And then they have a friend that's an endurance athlete that's doing eat perform and her calories are a lot lower, you know, and what accounts for the difference. And the, the difference is the exploration and the direction that that person wants to go, right? And when we talk about the case study that I'm talking about here, what, what, the the discussions we had very early on were, look, we're going to poke and prod to figure out what works the best, right? And so we would get to to 4,000 and then we would gradually move things down, right? 500 at a time. And what I can tell you for fact is that that 500 500, um, calorie thing, which is the, the standard for losing one pound a week with endurance athletes and, and really high caloric intakes, the body adjusts as you go lower very quickly. Right. Um, and this, we've found this with thousands of athletes that are eating five and 7,000 calories. They get really frustrated that they have to go a lot lower than they thought to lose weight. To me, that's two different conversations, right? So 
you have an athlete and let's say it's a male, he's a CrossFit Games athlete, he's eating 7,000 calories, right? The reason why he's eating 7,000 calories is to enhance tissue, to make sure tendons are okay, allow for recovery, all these different things. The, a whole different process than when they're out of season. But what happens out of season, which is interesting, and it's not completely wrong, um, if you're trying to lose weight, that's a different discussion. But what you'll see out of season where people, you know, Matt Frazier would be a really good example in the CrossFit community, mm -hmm. right? He's always posting these videos about a season where he's one gaining weight, um, which by the way, sends a signal to your body that I'm going to give you enough fuel to allow for you to recover and the muscle tendons and, and, and or the tendons and muscles that you've broken down, we're going to build those back up. So gaining a little weight in that instance actually sends a real good signal to your body that this is a comfortable place, right? So when we were working with her, I remember one time we were probably three years in and uh, she wanted to get to 179.9 and I get it, right? I get it. You've worked really hard to, to get a goal Three years in, now listen to what I'm saying here. We're three years in, started at 195, and she's only at 180, right? But once again, I would like to point out that I was a miracle worker in this instance, right? She went from 1,200 to eating 4,000. We were only dieting one time a year right? And that was within a three-month period. And in that three-month period, by the way, if you're an eater performer, this is what you need to tell your friends. You're not at your lowest deficit the whole three months. In fact, you're only at your lowest deficit for like four weeks, right? The good majority of the time we're going down. And in that process with this specific case study, because this, this was one of my first people, right? And so, so, you know, it, it definitely, you know, I, I was going to say it earlier. I'll say it now. Whatever you do, you're not as gangster as a runner. Okay. I'm just telling you, right. Ultra marathoners, marathoners, they can always stop and they can always turn back and they don't. Okay. You dropping your 500 pound deadlift or whatever is not near as hard as continuing on at the 24 mile when everything hurts, right? And you're maybe fuel deplenished and all these different things. Runners are gangster people, right? And remember that every time you see a runner, you know, because there's all the, well, I only run when I'm scared. And, you know, I only run, you know, if somebody's chasing me, runners are tough. You need to know that, right? Um, so, she kind of got obsessed about this, this, you know, 179 number. And I was like, what's the real goal here? I mean, where, where are we really trying to go? And what we basically broke down was that she was still trying to get better at running and that we were trying to go to a lower weight. I was like, but that lower weight's not 180, let's be clear, right? And she's like, well, yeah. 
I said, so why we are so obsessed about 0.5 pounds right now when the, the end game is maybe 20 pounds away, right? Um, and, and so, so luckily I sold her on that idea and we really never had to worry about that ever again. And in, in that time, I would actually say for her purposes, um, I, I think 179.95, you know, they're all numbers that would be bad for her. She was actually probably better stopping at 171, right? And what we've seen in almost every instance is that as the food starts to come back and the work starts to become more efficient, she's able to push into that 169.9, right? And now that we've done it seven, eight years in a row, I don't really even have to have the discussion anymore. But the problem, if you're listening to this, you're like thinking of weight like it's your Scrooge McDuck or something, right? Where you're just gonna, you're gonna get to 169, you're gonna hold on to that forever. One of your biggest problems as it relates to getting better at running, getting better at human being, get better at all these different things is because you get obsessed about these numbers. This is why someone thinks that their maintenance calories are 1700 when they're a runner and I have runners, you know, eating a multiple of that. Right. And, you know, you have to kind of factor that in anyway, long story short, um, we did eventually have to go in a bigger deficit, such a big deficit that it was similar to an average person that doesn't do, you know, the kinds of things that this person does, right? That, like I said, time period is basically two weeks then another two weeks and then go a whole year not dieting, right? So we have, we have done it now four and five years at a time. So she just goes into the pain cave, you know, she pulls back on her training a little bit, right? right? Um, so that, you know, she's not susceptible to injury at that time to actually... I don't think she does much weightlifting, but I wish she did, right, during these moments that, that that would actually help. I do have a lot of endurance athletes that do switch to a little bit more weight-focused, right? Um, usually those people do really well at something like CrossFit. And actually, um, it does get a little bit harder, interestingly enough, for those people to lose weight because they gain muscle so easily, right? Um, and so they can often get a little frustrated by weight loss, but then all of a sudden they start seeing, you know, their, their two pack turns into a four pack, you know, and they become significantly leaner. I can have Susan talk about why that exists, but your body's just much more receptive to nutrients in that level of training when that has been repressed for say nine months because you know the majority of what the sport that you're actually you know working to be good at 
um, does cost you muscle along the way, but you can obviously build that back. Um, so I'll let Susan talk about that, but, but ultimately um, she's right now finishing um, up what is the seventh fat loss. You know, we've only done one a year um, and uh, she's at 151 and um, looking to work her way into the 140s, but, but her food is already, you know, that's the other thing too. Like her food can come back so much faster, right? Um, a little bit of that is the want by the client, but it's also the trust in me, right? If, if she's seen me do it eight years in a row, you know, she's going to allow me to do it. As a coach, I'm listening to you, but I'm but what I'm not going to do is put you in a place where I'm constantly having to defend the method. I'll go a little bit slower so you can catch up to me because I know eight years down the line, we're gonna get to where we want to go, right? But I can tell you this: if you make it more difficult for me than it needs to be ultimately you're just making it more difficult for yourself, right? Because you do need that food for the recovery to getting better at running and all these different things. And then eventually if we want to get better in the mirror and things of this nature, you know, that'll just come, right? That's the, that's the irony of all this situation related to all of you out there that are listening to this and want to result in a month right? As you start to fix all these little holes in your game, the consistency of what you're doing, where you're being well fed the majority of the time, right? It just works itself out. I will say this. I don't know that we're going to need any further. I think we all, we both kind of knew that 150 was the goal, right? Um, and, uh, she has improved even, you know, like I said, she's aged eight years, but she's progressively been better. You know, she blows away her age class anywhere she goes. Right. Um, and you know, we may, we may not get to 149.9 It's possible. Right. But I think that oftentimes we have these goals and I get why we have goals. Like Susan sets goals for her clients. I set goals for my clients. We all have reasons, but sometimes it's okay to fall short of that goal because you get so focused on the goal that you forget about the 45 pounds that you've lost, right? And in that process, like I said, you've had a miracle worked on you, you know? You went from eating 1,200 calories to eating 4,500, 5,000 calories. I mean, my clients, when they're in performance or, or, or recon, and they're an endurance athlete with high caloric intake, they go to these after races where everybody's like, oh, my God, they're so starving, right, because they, they, they haven't consumed enough calories. My clients consume those calories as a normal way of eating that they don't gain weight. A lot of people, if you've ever run a marathon or whatever, and maybe you were under eating or not conscious of your weight, you weigh yourself the morning of the marathon 
And then you go have your pizza and your beers and things of this nature. And you, you weigh five to six pounds more the very next day. That does not happen to my clients. Right. Because they're already eating that much. Right. And, you know, obviously I, I do think, you know, and, and you can look at, you know, a lot of stories are coming out science-based that are talking about weight um, and runners and, and things of this nature and that runners maybe have been coached and conditioned to be much lower than they really need to be to be the best runner that they can be. Because oftentimes if you're, um, you know, the, the, the thing with Nike and Mary Kane, if you want to Google Nike and Mary Kane, it's a great example, but there, there are a number of other examples within that story um, that really kind of show that to be the best runner in the world, you don't necessarily need to be the lightest runner in the world, right? And that there may be, you know, we may find actually as an example that at 148, she doesn't actually perform as good. Maybe her performance actually suffers a little bit, right? Um, because having a little bit of meat on your bones allows for better recovery, right? A little bit more of, um, I don't know how you would describe it, but, but it, it's like almost having a shock absorber, right? On a car, you know, that a lot of times people think, well, yeah, my tendon issues are related to my weight. Maybe they could also be related to fueling, right? So we've covered this in depth. We were hoping to actually do two, but this was really a good topic. You know, and I got to tell you, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts like this or, or hear about a lot of podcasts like this. And I see like this general pattern of, it almost feels like scripted, right? Where, where the podcasts are like, well, if I do this, then more people will sign up for my program, things like this. I can tell you, Susan and I have never had a conversation like that ever, right? What we do is what interests us. And I really think that that comes out as, as all of you are listening to it, right? But I want you to stretch like what you're hearing to maybe, you know, like I said, how would this apply to you with strength training, right? Like as an example, like if you're a strength training person, having some cardio in place, having some endurance in place might allow for two more reps. Is that going to help in, in relationship to, to muscle production? Absolutely, right? So Susan, I'm going to give you the last word. And it's so awesome to be talking about this stuff again. It's, it, it's fun you know, I spend a lot of my time in business development related to Eat to Perform, but obviously I hope everybody can hear in my voice that, you know, this is what my real passion lies. Well, Paul, that story of your runner uh, is great because what I heard is that she went from the initial phase of working with you where she was kind of straddling the fence about did she, was she really a runner in her own personal identity, or was she running for the goal of weight loss or managing her body? And she kind of liked to run and that was the exercise and she was, she was good at it, but you allowed her to 
go through an evolution where she is really now a runner. She um, allowed that evolution. Yes, yes. You yeah. coached her to the point where she has allowed herself to, to, you know, morph into actually being a runner. And, 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 and she has embraced that because now she fuels her body and takes care of it and nurtures it so she can be out there enjoying and doing the best that she can do while she's running. And, and the weight loss, as you said, if that goal changes, that's fine. Nobody's saying that the goal you chose eight years ago is essential to keep. These are the client's goals. And if they want to change them, they can change them. And if she finds that the weight loss goal maybe wasn't quite as well synced with her running as she thought it was, then she's going to change that. Or hopefully a healthy person will. So there or, was, or she'll I try I it. To, I hate to interrupt you, but, but there's one thing that really needs to be said that I forgot. Um, she's postmenopause. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and the reason why it's important for me to mention that is because as many of you listening to this that are postmenopause that feel like you have fewer options. And I really want you to hear the part of the 4,000 calories, right? Of the 4,500 calories. Because, you know, I think for a lot of you, and, and I get it, I, we, we, both Susan and I work with menopause clients, you feel like you're trapped because you can't lose weight. And then also when you gain weight, you feel like it just stays, right? And, and that can be a frustrating process, right? But that's where the coaching comes in. And so, so I don't want to de-emphasize the person's accomplishment because she allowed that evolution. If you just go from diet to diet to diet to diet to diet to diet, right? And you hear this message from me to perform and it resonates with you, but you really only allow for two months for it to kind of work. Well, you're really not giving it a proper chance and you're not giving yourself a proper chance, right? And so when we look at the example I was talking about, she actually allowed herself to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly, but, but even three, four years in, she was a really scared caterpillar, right? And, and, and I kept telling her, I was like, one day we're gonna solve this puzzle. And it didn't really revolve around weight, right? It was so, it was so great seeing that evolution that the part where she became a butterfly was when she became a runner, right? right? And where it was no longer really about weight loss at all. And that's really when the weight loss happened, right? And so you can't, you, you can't be a reluctant caterpillar, right? You have to want to be a butterfly. So there and you, you, can't, you can't maximize your body if you are not fueling it. And especially as you go into menopause, mm. that becomes more critical is the challenge, the push. And 
speaking from personal experience, I know that that the you know the 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 expectation that you're going to be able to continue to do the same things that you always did and remain the with the ability to move your body up and down wherever you want it to go is is false it it does change um, a lot of women had poor habits and practices in nourishing themselves and fueling themselves early on um, that will continue to be difficult <laughs> as you go into menopause um, but you can change that and and it it takes, I think, I've all, I've have felt personally upping my game, but I can't up my game if I fall into the trap of the information that tells me I need to eat less and less and less. I can't up my game. And so what happens is you become a reflection of what the diet world tells you, that your body is broken and nothing is working because you're following the advice of the of the mass marketing diet world. Well, I do think, I do think, you know, I agree with that. But I do think sometimes when you're sitting there and you're on the scale and it's not moving or maybe it's going up and then once your weight is up five pounds, you feel like you have to pay this penalty, right? And then maybe calories aren't high enough or, or whatever. Like I get that like there's, there's not a marketing problem there right? It's the data that you're getting from yourself in your scale is actually telling you a message that, that you'd rather not hear. That's where you have to kind of change that messaging. By the right. way, we did do a, we did do a podcast right. on menopause right. with Susan. She talked about the changes that she made. So definitely check that out. But what yeah. were you going to say? So the point is that um, everything says your metabolic rate slows, you need to eat less. That's, that's the mass marketing mumbo jumbo around menopause. And, and that does not help you up your game. Yeah. And that's, that's my issue with the concept of maintenance, right? Where it's not the scientific concept that Susan talks about. It's this concept of, artificially holding yourself back from what your potential could be, right? Because you're scared of gaining a pound, right? right? Or you're scared of, and, and it's always taking the short-term view and never the long-term view. Well, it's great to be back. We'll definitely be a little bit more um, on a regular schedule for a lot of reasons, but I appreciate everybody listening. If you listened all the way to this point, thank you. Um, I, and, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye now.